Okay, so get out your Bibles, turn on your electronic devices. We will have something up here to help us follow along in the text as well. But I am telling you, this is the last Advent sermon. Just an announcement for all of us. This is it. There will be something on Sunday, certainly. Um, uh, but Advent-related, it will possibly be, but maybe with a different twist that you might not necessarily get on Christmas. So there's my hook. If you want a message that you're probably not going to get on a normal Christmas service, you might want to come here on Sunday. Just saying. Okay, so in 2019, Christmas changed forever, right? Some of you remember this. I reported on this. I did not withhold this information from you. Those of you that are hearing this for the first time, I'm just asking you to brace yourself, okay? Christmas changed in 2019, not because of COVID, but because of a conversion. A trusted news source secretly embedded an investigative journalist at the North Pole. She was disguised as an elf. Um, she witnessed what happened firsthand. And this was the headline in 2019. Santa Claus converts to Calvinism, moves everybody to the naughty list. Remember, I, I was quick to report this to you. How could this happen? How did this happen? How could such a thing happen? Well, remember how she was there. She saw it, this disguised elf, and she... She saw it happen. She said, quote, it happened after a transformative moment reading R.C. Sproul's What is Reformed Theology for the first time. So that's how it happened. Now, we are three years later, and there's another article that came out. But three years have passed. Uh, she is now an accomplished uh, Pulitzer Prize winning author because of her expose on Santa. Um, but in a recent interview, she interviewed Jing Ol Bells, who is the head elf at the North Pole. And he's not happy. He's still not happy. He says, annoying. After three years, he says, annoying. I wish we could just lock him, meaning Santa, in a cage, let him cool off before letting him interact with real people ever again. It gets worse. She reports that, shockingly, Santa has changed 2,000 years of Christmas tradition. 2,000 years of long, embraced, celebrated Christmas tradition. Uh, no one saw it coming. The elves didn't see it coming. The snowmen didn't see it coming. The snow women didn't see it coming. Not even the Grinch saw it coming. Quoting Santa, this is what Santa has done. I repent of my merit-based system of giving gifts. I will now select people to receive presents based on nothing good, or bad within themselves, but solely on my mercy. There you have it. Christmas will never be the same. All right, this is it. The last Advent sermon. Enjoy it, because I'm ready to move on. You ready? Here we go. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold. Now, we know now... Because we've been in enough Old Testament over the years, and we've seen this word behold in the Bible often. It just means pay attention. Pay attention to what? Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Really, he, was, he, got, he had a mental health crisis is really what's happening right there. And all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them 
where the Christ was to be born. In other words, they're looking the scriptures to figure this out. Everyone's reading the Bible at this time. Isn't this amazing? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so it was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent to them, he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, pay attention, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word works, and we thank you that your word doesn't just convey information, it gets things done. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired, God breathed this word and then inscripturated this word, and now we're asking you to enlighten us to this word. Shine on the page. For the sake of your name and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Advent. Advent. So what is Advent? First time we saw it was the arrival, specifically the arrival of someone. Then the next time we looked at the next series on Advent, why should you care about Advent? Answer number one, not to be inspired, not to be more, but your greatest need is to experience grace. That's why you should care about Advent. So why do you need Advent? Why, what is Advent doing? It's doing that. It's giving you grace. Specifically, we looked at what is Advent's message. So what is Advent's message? The answer number one we saw last week is you've blown it, at a hu- you've blown it as a human being. That ship has sailed. The verdict's already in. The moment Jesus arrived, it is a complete verdict that every human being has blown it as a human being. And then the moment he's arrived, the message to us is he says, but I've come to take your place. I've come to be the true and faithful son, true and faithful daughter the true and faithful child of God. I've come to be the true and faithful image bearer. There is no other human being that lived the life perfectly. I've come to be that. And so what Jesus is saying by coming here, he's saying, I'm, look, I'm not strengthening you. I am your strength. I am your holiness. I am your image bearing. I am the one that loved God for you. I am the one that loved others for you. Husbands, I am the one that loved the bride, my wife, perfectly for you. So just be a good husband, will you? Today's text is about you. It's about the church. So remember last week I was thinking, man, we need to probably do something like, well, how does the gospel, though, let's just, what does the gospel do for Christians? Um, all these messages are for all of us. 
But specifically, what does the gospel... Remember we saw the gospel as this. The gospel is Jesus' events. And then messages about Jesus' events. So you have the Jesus' events of the incarnation. You have the Jesus' event of a perfect life. You have the Jesus' event of a punishing, penal death. You have the Jesus' event of a powerful resurrection. You have the Jesus' event of him taking the throne and being crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and unleashing at Pentecost his spirit on the world. These are events. And what the Bible does, it doesn't leave it up to you and me to interpret what those events are. Because everywhere in the Bible, watch it. Everywhere in the Gospels, watch it. Every time Jesus does an event, everybody gets it wrong. Until there's a divine agent, revelatory agent, that says, this is what it means. We've said this before, but can you imagine? I mean, imagine if Pharaoh would have got it right when he saw the sea part. So, messages, events, that's the gospel. So for the birth, now there's lots of messages too. Throughout all the Bible, you have all these theologies and doctrines are interpretations of the events. So you've heard words like justification. That's an interpretation of the events. You've heard words like sanctification. That's an interpretation of the events. Reconciliation, propitiation, all of these. And then ideas and images like sacrifice, even deserts, they're all interpretations of the events. And that message and that event together are the power of God for your salvation. The whole package, not just becoming a Christian, but it's the power of God that feeds you, nourishes you, energizes you, puts you back together again on a daily basis as a Christian. So not just the ABCs, but the A through Z of the Christian life, this gospel is to make you healthy as a Christian. And that seems to be a strange message today. I don't know why it's so strange. It's never been strange in the history of the church. It's never been strange. Earlier, it's not strange in the Bible. But today, that's a strange message. So I thought, let's take that strange message that Christmas is for Christians too. So what does Advent do to you as a Christian? How does it impact your relationship with God? How does it impact your struggle with sin? We're going to look at that. What does, Christian, what does Christmas do to the church? How does it impact our worship, our connecting to God? How does it impact our friendship and community, our connecting to one another? How does it impact our mission to Waco, connecting to Waco with a mission? How does this happen? So you ready? Here we go. What does Advent do to you, do to the church? Look at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, pay attention, <laughs> wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. First of all, don't get hung up on the star. The star is probably a natural event and a supernatural event. I think in verse 2, it's a natural event, uh, a, a supernova, a comet. Remember Halley's Comet in 12... 12 B.C., that was a pretty big deal. It also could be a, two planets could have aligned. I guess Mars and Saturn aligned in 7 B.C. So these things happen. It's probably a natural event in verse 2, but in verse 8, it's probably a supernatural event. 
Remember the pillar of fire that when it would lead Israel out through, well, through the, through the sea and into the promised land? It's probably that kind of dynamic. So that's what's happening. Here's the point, though. The point is they're being led. They're being led. Whether it's a natural event, supernatural event, combination, they're being led. And behold, verse 8, pay attention, the star that had, they had seen when it rose went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down, they worshipped him. So this is absolutely amazing. This is the first story after Jesus' birth. Do you know what this means? This is the first record. This is the first account, the first news of what Jesus' birth does to you. This is the first good news message about what Jesus' birth accomplishes, performs, gets done. And so the question is, what is Jesus' birth doing, behold, to these wise men from the east? Answer, lead them to God. So right away, the power of Jesus' birth, a power that's completely outside of you, a power that doesn't need you, a power that doesn't, you don't find in here, it's an alien power, it's an invading power, that this power of Jesus' birth, what it does to you is it actually leads you to God. Unbelievable. So some of you are saying this morning, and some of you know this, you feel this. I, you say, I, don't, I can't find God. I, I can't connect to God. I can't connect to him while I'm reading my Bible. I don't seem to connect to him when I pray. I don't seem to connect to him when I do spiritual disciplines. Others of you have maybe convinced yourself that you're connecting with him in these things, and you're not. You're connecting with a feeling or an experience. You might be thinking, I mean, I try to connect with him at church, doing church. I try to connect with God listening to my podcasts, and I try to connect with God by studying theology and doctrine, but I'm just not connecting with him. You're probably exhausted. You're definitely anxious. And you're probably a little depressed. Now watch what Jesus' birth does to you. Verse 11, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Anytime people fall down and worship in the Bible, it's because they just connected with God. Jesus' birth leads you to God. Jesus' birth causes you to fall down, literally or figuratively, before God. Jesus' birth causes you to worship. Jesus' birth actually causes you to experience his love for you. The wonder of his, his being an image bearer for you. Jesus' birth actually helps you realize he listens to you. 
Jesus' birth is how you actually experience God. Notice that it's never been about the star. Because a lot of ink is spilt and a lot of, even a lot of carols we sing (laughs) are about the star. And it's never been about the star. It's not, I mean, it's pretty cool. It's a cool thing. Maybe it's a natural event. Maybe it's a supernatural event. It's pretty cool. But notice that it's never even been about important people. There are a lot of important people in this passage. There are world rulers in this passage, kings. There are religious leaders. There are Bible experts, scribes in this passage. And it's never been about them either. And then it's never, here's what's going to shock you, it's never even been about the Bible alone. Look at verse 3, 4, 5, 6. As divine as the Bible is, as revelatory as the Bible is, notice that it's never been about the Bible alone. It's never been about celebrity people alone, important people alone, powerful people alone. It's never even been about a fantastic natural event or a supernatural event. Notice that all of these things serve the birth. All of these things matter and have meaning because of Jesus' birth. If Jesus' birth wasn't there, they would have no matter and no meaning. I will never forget, y'all, my first semester sitting in a church history class, listening to a church history expert talking to a bunch of future Bible experts. And he said this to a bunch of people that study the original languages. The seminary I'm at studies the original languages more than any other seminary on the planet. Bar none. And then there's a tons of advanced classes you can take in all the languages and all exegesis on top of getting a four-year degree. So it's not even a three-year like an MDiv. It's a four-year And so we are like special forces of the Bible. And I'll never forget that he looked at every single one of us future Bible experts and communicators of the Bible, and he says this, I do not love the Bible for the Bible. I love the Bible because it gives me Jesus. It's not about the star. It's not about important people. It's not even about the Bible. It's about the Bible because the Bible gives us Jesus. Otherwise, who cares about a Christian handbook? Go to Jesus' birth and you connect with God. Go to Jesus' birth and you connect with Jesus. You don't make yourself fall down. You fall down. You don't make yourself worship. You worship. It's the effect of the power of Jesus' birth. So what specifically about Jesus' birth, though, leads you to God? Do you see that in the text? It's amazing. I mean, did you see it? I mean, we can't look at all the text. But you run through the text. What is it specifically about the birth, though, that's leading everybody to Jesus? Do you want ask that question? What is it? Notice that it's everywhere, though. It's everywhere. It's hidden, but it's everywhere. It's mysterious, 
but it's everywhere. It's invisible, but it's everywhere. It's personal everywhere. It's active everywhere. It's present everywhere. What is it? (laughs) Well, whatever it is, it's the reason why the wise men, when they looked at the star, they interpreted it rightly. Herod looked at the star and misinterpreted it. Whatever it is, whatever it is, when the wise men, it caused the wise men to follow the star. Herod did not follow the star. It caused the wise men, when they had the scriptures open to them, they read the scripture rightly and then raced to a place. When all the Bible experts and the whole town of Jerusalem, because it says the whole town, all the Bible experts, all the important people were looking at the Bible too, but didn't see it. And didn't race to Bethlehem. So whatever it is, it did all of that. And the answer is, what is it? And the answer is so powerful and breathtaking. God's love. I mean, later John's going to come along and he's going to say this. You want to know, do you want to know how you know what God's love is? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The mysterious power, the hidden power, the invisible power that's animating and energizing and working and leading and drawing and leading people to himself at the birth is the love of God. Amazing. In other words, if you, want, if you want to connect with God's love, go to Jesus' birth. If you want to experience God's love, go to Jesus' birth. Because Jesus' birth is absolute, not just proof, which is a big deal. How do we know God loves us? How do we know that he's there for us? How do we know that he leads us? How do we know that... He wants to break into our life. How do we know that he wants to forgive us? How do we know that he wants to justify us? How do we know that he wants to live the perfect life on our behalf? Answer, Jesus' birth. At Jesus' birth, God concretely shows up. At Jesus' birth, the nebulous, hallmark notion of God's love gets visible tangible, even physical, on top of being spiritual, concrete. Some of you, though, are not looking for God. You don't feel a need to look for God. Um, You've given up looking for God. Or you have your reasons. You just don't get the whole Jesus thing. Maybe you struggle with some of the realities of, you know, is the Bible really reliable? Maybe that's you too. I'm not trying to insult you with what I'm about to say, so please. What I'm about to say actually could be incredibly encouraging for you. This passage does not need you to work. It doesn't need you to look for God to work. In other words, look at the the supposed wise men. 
Let's go to the wise men. You see that in verse 1? You probably have a footnote if you have the ESV. I hope they have a footnote in all the other translations because the supposed wise men is a really interesting translation. It's kind of like, it's like, you want, it's like you're a translator and you want to keep moving. You know when you go four-wheeling that if you stop in the mud, you get stuck? It's almost like that for them. Sometimes when people want to translate certain things, they just don't want to have to get stuck in the mud and the mess of the text. And so we're just going to call it wise men. But legitimately, literally, they're called magi. Literally, they're magicians. They're from Hogwarts. Okay? Um, Here's what's happening with these wise men. The modern world would call them New Agers. You could call them experts in the occult. Paul would call them practicers, practitioners of the doctrines of demons. Practitioners that know how to or seek to uh, activate the knowledge, the power, the presence of the unseen world and bring it into this world. Practitioners in what would be called the paranormal powers on a lot of TV shows today. Are you with me? You're tracking with me? That's who the wise men are. So it gets worse in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, pay attention. We're supposed to pay attention to who these dudes are. If you translate it wise men, nobody really cares about these guys. I mean, why? But if they're magicians from the east, nothing in the Bible is good that comes from the east. Sin invaded from the east. And when it came in from the east, it then banished the whole world to the east of the garden. You have Israel's, all of Israel's enemies come from the east. The Assyrians came from the east. The Persians came from the east. The Babylonians came from the east. Egypt came from the east. Every single enemy of Israel comes from the east. And not only that, Moses' enemies come from the east. Literally, the magicians from the east in Egypt were the ones during the God War. Remember Moses? And he threw down a staff, and it turned into a snake, and the magicians over here conjured something up, and it looked like a snake too, or it was a snake. But then Moses' snake ate that snake. Remember? And do you remember the other magicians from the east that got a hold of Daniel and and put him on a one-way trip to the lion's den? Or then the other magicians from the east that got a hold of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and put them in this blazing furnace made by Nebuchadnezzar to build his giant statue of himself? The first people to look for Jesus came from the east. Do you know what that means? The first people that looked for Jesus weren't looking for Jesus. The first people in the Bible were getting the first news, the first report. What does the gospel do to you? What does the gospel do to us? And the first report is it reaches people not looking for God. It reaches people from the east. It leads them from the east. Amazing. Be careful, those of us that are not looking for him, you just might start looking for him. That's how powerful 
Jesus' birth is. So what does Advent do to you? What does it do for the Christian relationship with God, um, struggling with sin, uh, the Christian life, church? Well, right away we know that Advent uh, leads us to God, leads us to connect to Jesus, leads us to experience Jesus and whatever and whoever he is and what he's done. And that there's this invisible, mysterious thing called the love of God that's manifested and empowered and released in the birth of Jesus that draws you and leads you to him. Okay, great. So right away you can know that maybe the way you read the Bible is to read Jesus in the Bible, and then all of a sudden things change in your Bible reading. And maybe in your prayer, too, that when Jesus becomes the center of your prayers, things start changing. You start connecting with God, and Jesus becomes the center of your spiritual disciplines, not these spiritual disciplines that don't connect to him in any sort of way. Maybe that's a way. The other is this. I don't want you to miss. I'm going to talk very generally here. I don't, don't want you to miss how the Christian life works. The Christian life works right from the very beginning in this passage. I don't want you to miss how Christianity works. This is the first church. These are the first, the first community. These magi. The parents. In whatever the stall was or whatever the barn, whatever the place was, this was the first church gathering, the first worship service, the first connecting to each other in community, the first mission of what this church is going to be about. It's now happening. So everything you want to know about how does Christianity works is happening in a microcosm that's going to affect the macrocosm of all of Christianity and all the Christian life and everything that has to do about the Christian life in church. You ready for it? Here it goes. Happens right here. Verse 11, and going into the house, and going into the house, they saw the child. They go into the house, they see the child with Mary his mother, and here's the result. You ready? Here's the result. They fall down and worship him. Then, here comes another result. They opened their treasures and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the question is, how do you fall down and worship Jesus? How do you fall down and connect with God? This text says, see Jesus. So we go on. So how do I experience God? See Jesus. Well, how do I experience God's love? See Jesus. They saw him. How do I Get a sense that he's with me and for me. See Jesus. What is the Christian life? See Jesus. And then notice what happens here too. How, does, how do you open up your treasures? How do you like start doing ministry? And how do you start loving people and start connecting in community and friendship with people? And then how do you start going out into the community? And the answer is see Jesus. This is so important because this is the cause that produces all the effects. What we do today is we take an effect and we make it a cause and we wonder why it never happens in our life. Well, I want to fall down. Okay, keep falling down. Well, I want to worship him. I want to connect with him. And we keep trying to worship him and connect with him. Well, I want to give my life over to him and surrender him. We keep trying to surrender and we can't. Well, I want to be involved in mission, and I want to do ministry, and I want to be used by God. And so we keep trying to do that, and we get after it. And this text, if oh, you want to do that? See Jesus, and you'll do it. You want to learn how to love people? 
see Jesus and just start loving people. I want to learn to be generous in my giving. See Jesus and you start becoming generous. You start giving away frankincense and myrrh. Well, I want to learn how to be a musician that does music for its own sake. See Jesus and you'll start. I want to be an athlete that's not out there fearing failure. See Jesus and you'll learn how to do that. Why is it so simple? Seeing Jesus changes everything. Seeing Jesus is the Christian life. And some of us, though, we're just not convinced. We're not convinced because we know we have personal struggles, right? What about personal struggles? What about struggling with yourself? What about struggling with sin? I, I don't get that, though, Jeff. It's just not convincing. What about sin? What about the harder things in life? Suffering. What about... What about hard stuff that comes at you, the harder stuff that comes out of you, the stuff that goes on in relationships and marriages and homes and families and churches? And That just sounds so simple. Did you notice that after, after Jesus' birth, after, the, angel, after the, the Magi connect with Jesus at his birth, did you notice that Herod, for the rest of Matthew, is never called the king again. Herod the king, Herod the king, Herod the king, Herod the king. And they see Jesus, they fall down, they worship, and real Christianity happens, and now it's just Herod, 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 Herod. For the rest of the book. Jesus' birth dethrones all the King Herods in your life on the spot. You don't dethrone them. His birth dethroned them. They're now just Herods. So Christians, it might feel like there are a lot of King Herods in the culture. It might feel like there are a lot of King Herods your own sin struggles. It might feel there are a lot of King Herods at work, that person that just is abusive and oppressive. It might feel that way. But for you and for the world, they're dethroned. They're just a Herod. And when you get there just a Herod, you actually change experientially, functionally. You relate to them different. You interact different. You're like, you're not a king. There's only one king. I don't fear you. I won't let you control me. See how things change? All of Christianity is packed into them seeing Jesus falling down on their knees as a result, effect, worshiping as an effect, not a cause, opening up their life and their gifts and learning how to live and be a human being, all stem from seeing Jesus. That's the power of Jesus' birth.
So, what does Jesus' birth do to you? It leads you to God. It leads you to Jesus. You see Jesus, and everything changes. Amen.